0: Yeah, as Dave said, my name is Matt. My specific title here at Calvary is I am the REACH pastor. Dave, you did a great job explaining all of what's going on in the next two weeks. I really appreciate that. Better than I did first hour, so I really appreciate that. Uh, but there is a lot going on in the area of REACH over the next couple of weeks. Really excited for you to jump in. So that's one of my titles here. I'm also the coach of the undefeated single A Reds for Northeast Santa Ana Little League. So... Uh, We played our first game yesterday, and we don't keep score. So I'm kind of predicting that we're going to be undefeated all season. The kids are like, did we win, coach? I was like, of course we won. So it should be a fun season over there at Northeast. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 17 as we conclude today our series going through the book of Judges. And as you turn there, go through the Pentateuch, Joshua, Judges. I want to give a couple shout-outs, one to just several of our pastors, uh, Eric Wakeling and Matt Davis are home safely from Turkey, and so I'm really excited that they are back at an incredible time visiting that place, seeing the ministry of Paul, and I can't wait to see how that's even going to influence their teaching with us here at Calvary Church with anticipation that we'll be invited, many of us, to go to Turkey in 2016 with them. So, welcome back fellas. And also my brother from another mother uh Josh Matlock is here. Josh served uh for about 10 years in his 20s here at Calvary Church as one of our pastors. He's now the senior pastor of Bethany of Montclair in Montclair, California, doing an amazing job. Josh, where are you? I want you to stand up. Come on, Josh, where are you? Where are you? Oh, right there. Hey, Josh. Welcome. You're on sabbatical and you're choosing to be with us. I just, I'm honored by that. So uh, what an influence you've had on my life. Really value you. So, and then one more shout out and then we'll get into the word. But Lacey Ann Yates, I don't even know if you're here, but you're 16 today. I just want to say happy birthday to her. That's awesome for that. So happy birthday. There you are. Happy birthday, Lacey Ann. 16 years old, following Jesus. I respect you a lot. Well done. (laughs) Judges chapter 17 is where we're going to be. As we continue this idea of overcoming, specifically I want to talk through the idea of overcoming a corrupted heart. You have outline notes that you may find useful if you want to look at them from your bulletin. This whole book, we've been looking really at this nation that has a corrupted heart. Judges chapter 17 verse 6 says these words, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. This is the summary of this Old Testament book. As people did what they thought was right and it led to all kinds of destruction, decay, corruption in their own lives and in those that they interacted with. Moses, you don't have to turn here, but you can even look at it in your notes or on the screen, Moses predicted that this would happen to the nation of Israel, that they would become a corrupted people. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses prophesies to the priests of Israel when he says, Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing and call the heavens and the earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will act corruptly, and turn away from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days. For you will do that what is evil. A little awkward speech from Moses at the end of his life to the priests that surrounded him and the priests that were to come. He says, I know, I predict, I prophesy that you will act corruptly. And then he goes on to say, in the sight of the Lord, provoking God to anger with the work of your hands. So Moses' prophecy, we see, comes sadly true here in the book of Judges. In chapter 2, and we've pointed back to this verse several times, but in chapter 2, we see, but it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers and following other gods to serve them. So this nation that we see here is a corrupt nation. Another word in the Hebrew is it's a decaying nation. It's dying as a people because of their hearts and because they can't stop going to false gods. They have this desire to worship something and they have the one true God that everything's pointing to. And yet in the corruption of their hearts they turn from the one true God and they seek false things. And it just leads to all kinds of chaos. And Judges Chapter 17 and 18 serve as an appendix to this book. Uh, We read about Samson. We saw him last week. Judges 17 and 18 probably happened before the time of Samson. In fact, they probably happened before all of the judges that we read about in this book. So this is like an appendix of, hey, this is kind of where it started. This is where corruption happened. And so we see a case study here in 17 and 18. First, we see this. A corrupted heart of a family. Look at the first two verses of Judges 17. It says, Now there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. So right off the bat, we're introduced in this chapter to a guy named Micah, a guy that... We haven't heard of before in this book. We just learn about him here, learn about where he's from, and we learn about that he steals from his own mom. Which is ironic because his name means, who is like God? He doesn't represent his namesake very well in this situation. So he steals from the bank account of his own mom. And this isn't like just going into his mom's purse and taking a $5 bill. Do you remember doing that as a kid? <laughs> Maybe you still do that? Don't you feel like when your mom, when you're a little kid, your mom always has gum, she always has cash, there's always something in there. Now our kids just go into the purse looking for our phones, right? <laughs> That's what they do. I still go into Marie's purse though, every once in a while, like, hey, do you have any cash? i need to pay the babysitter right now or things like that. But this isn't like that. Micah steals 1100 things, shekels of silver. This is the equivalent to, well, the average worker in this time frame would make about 10 pieces of silver a year. So this is 110 years of wages that Micah steals from his mom. Essentially, he takes his inheritance right from under her nose. This is a sad story of a corrupted family. And then you see Micah's mom in her anger She ushers a curse about the money that was stolen. Micah hears about this and he panics. He doesn't want to be cursed. And so he comes to his mom here in 17.2 and he admits that he's the one that took it. And then Micah's mom does something really interesting. She tries to reverse the curse because the curse that she ushered was to an unknown thief. Now she finds out it's her son, Micah, and so she tries to reverse the curse by giving him a blessing. And she throws out the name of Yahweh as kind of a cherry on top to kind of help massage the curse and to change it into something else. And this is helicopter parenting, 13th century B.C. style. Helicopter parenting, if you're not aware of the term, came out in the late 60s and 70s, and it's this idea of a parent who hovers over their kid. But a little disclaimer on that, it's not bad to be involved in your kids' lives. In fact, we have a biblical mandate, if you're a parent, to be highly and actively involved in our kids' lives. Karen Yates, one of my friends, asked a mutual friend of ours, Kimball Smalley, she said, Kimball, you've raised four adult kids who all love Jesus. Like, tell us, like, younger parents, like, how did you do it? And Kimball, if you know him, this is classic Kimball, he's like, I never let him out of my sight. Just wherever they would go, I was right there with them. If they wanted to go to the movie with their friends, I'd go too. <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I believe that, Kimball, I think he did that. And it worked for him. And so I'm not saying that to be a helicopter parent means it's bad to be involved in our kids lives but what you see here from Micah's mom is this is that she hovered over his life to help insulate protect him from the consequences of his actions do you get the difference she's trying to prevent Micah from facing the pain of his bad choice I understand that as a parent I really do And yet we see the calm, the the hurt that this occurs to Micah. Look at verse 3, chapter 17 of Judges. He then returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make, listen to this, a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will return them to you. So Micah's mother right here ignores Old Testament law, and we'll see here she helps her son and her grandson start a cult. Well done, helicopter mom. Leviticus 6, 1 through 6, talks about what you should do if if you steal. If you're caught stealing something from somebody else, you should repay all that you've stolen plus 20% interest. That's Levitical law. That's the law that Micah was under. And then on top of that, you should take a ram, not a Dodge Ram, but a ram without defect. Bring it to the priest. Consecrate it and say, God, forgive me. May this offering be acceptable to you to bring forgiveness for my sin against you, God, and against those that I've stolen from. And Micah's mom ignores Levitical law, and she just basically says, Micah, let's just cover this up, it's no big deal, Oh, and let's kind of just put God in it in our little time here so that we kind of feel better about ourselves. Look at, continue, verse 17, or, uh, chapter 17, verse 4. So when he returned the silver to his mother, the mother took 200 pieces of silver And gave them to the silversmith, who made them into a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household idols, and consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest. In those days there was no king of Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. It's really sad. It's a family that's corrupted. The mom doesn't follow law. First of all, she just ushers a curse. Which is not even, not even her right to do that. Then she finds out her son, she tries to massage it with a blessing. She says, I'm going to wholly dedicate all the money that you've returned, Micah, to God. And then she doesn't do that, and she takes 200 pieces of it and basically funds the starting of a cult. And then Micah gladly recruits one of his sons to be the cultist priest. This is a messed up family. It's a family of corruption. And you see in any society or culture that often the breakdown of culture starts in the home. It starts within the family. And then from there, it spills into other domains of society. And here in Judges 17, it's no different. Look at verse 7. It says, Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, the the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And he was staying there. Then the man departed from the city from Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he might find a place. And he made his journey, and he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to stay wherever I may find a place. Verse 10, Micah then said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year, a suit of clothes and your maintenance. So the Levite went in. The Levite agreed to live with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me, seeing I have a Levite as a priest. So we see the corrupted heart of a family, and now we're introduced to this Levite priest, and we see the corrupted heart of a pastor. If you look on the screen or in your Bibles this last line here in verse 10 just breaks my heart when it says so the Levite went in he was given this job offer to have his one true worship of God mixed with this idol worship and the young pastor says I'll go I'm in This young pastor's problem started before he showed up to Micah, though, because you read in Joshua 21 that the Levitical priests were assigned to 48 different territories in this new nation of Israel. Bethlehem was not one of these places. And so we read that the Levite was pastoring or or hanging out in Bethlehem, house of bread, place where Jesus was eventually born. This wasn't a place he should have been. And yet, that's where he was doing his ministry. And so already we see the corruption happening to this young pastor. And then, well, for whatever reason, the text doesn't tell us, he leaves Bethlehem, Judah, Jerusalem area, and then he wanders north. And he runs into Micah, and that's when Micah gives him the job offer. He says, I'll give you an annual salary of 10 pieces. Remember, he stole 1100 And I'll give you a new suit, basically. And you can be part of my family. I'll take care of you. I'll I'll make you comfortable. And the Levite priest says, I'm in. We later find out in chapter 18. In fact, if you have an NIV Bible, it will say this in chapter 18, verse 30. It will say that this Levite priest, this young pastor is named Jonathan. And the pastor's grandfather is Moses. So you have Moses in Deuteronomy 31 saying, there will be corrupt priests that come after me. Little did he know he was talking about his own grandson, Jonathan. Now to give you both points of view, just for a minute, in integrity, is there some scholars that argue, no, this wasn't Moses' grandson. In fact, if you have a different version of the NIV, it may say the son of Manasseh in Judges 18.30. So there's some debate amongst us here. And yet, if you just look at what it is and you go, okay, well, he was the third generation of someone who followed God, your heart just begins to break even more thinking, wow, in three generations, look how far this guy's integrity, this family legacy had gone. This priest is now willing to hire himself out for really the highest bidder. This is a corrupted heart of a pastor. The last line, too, of Judges 17, verse 13 says Then Micah said, Now I know the Lord will prosper me, seeing I have a Levite as a priest. Wicked people will often look for the endorsement of godly people in order to justify their actions. We, followers of Jesus, we are not perfect. I'm the undefeated coach of a Little League team, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> you're waking up. Daylight Savings. It's okay. You're with me. We are not perfect, yet we represent Jesus to our world and our culture. Often culture will try to get us to agree with them or to go alongside of them in order to justify their actions. Be aware of that. Take courage, stand strong, in integrity when you're enticed like this. This young pastor is enticed, new suit, annual salary, I'm in. And then Micah says, oh nice, now God will really bless me. Because I have like an official guy that's running my false worship, my cult now. And I just want to implore us, we need to be praying for our pastors, our leaders. Pray for us at Calvary that have the opportunity. We are equals here, all of us that are here. Yeah, I challenge you to pray for those that have been entrusted with leadership here at Calvary Church. Pray for pastors and other churches that you know, that, that you either know personally or know of their ministries or are blessed by their ministries. Make sure that you are praying for them, that they will walk in integrity and purity in all that they do because there is a bullet, I mean a bullseye I should say, take bullets, that Christian leaders experience. Let me just be real with you Here. On Wednesday, we did a forum with Safe Families. They're introducing a a new program in Orange County to to help uh, emancipated youth, 18 to 23. So we hosted the forum here, right in the lobby here of the worship center. We had like 50 church leaders. It was really a great day. But there was an extra guest that came uh, on Wednesday. She is a billionaire. She's actually worth $2 billion. She's not a Christian, but she heard about emancipated youth and she was interested in it. And so... She came. I just want to like reveal my heart to you for a moment. <laughs> can I do that? This is a safe place? <laughs> this billionaire is sitting three seats from me. There's only 1,800 billionaires in the world. You know that? One of them's here at Calvary on this Wednesday, and I'm thinking to myself, "Man, I want her to become a Christian so she can give a lot of money to Calvary." <laughs> I'm just being real with you. Faith promise is coming up. <laughs> spirit of God just convicted me like I want her to become a Christian that's a good thing but it should be because following Jesus is the right way it will change her life it'll transform her and then her money will follow wherever God calls her to take that it's not my business and yet as a pastor I don't know if I'd call myself young anymore I'm almost 40 but as a middle-aged pastor I'm tempted by money tempted to want money tempted to be around people who have money. I mean, it's pretty cool to say, like, oh, I know a billionaire, you know? But is that what God's called us to do? Is that our focus? No. And yet, as a pastor, I can find myself just getting a little bit off. Pray for us. I ask that self-servantly. Pray for your leaders. Pray for pastors that you know, that they won't become like this young pastor here in Judges 17 who basically give up their soul for a new suit and ten pieces of silver a year. It's a corrupted heart. And then we see, out of a corrupted family and a corrupted heart... Oh, and then let me show you this picture too before we move there. This is a wood relief cutting from 1530. It's a beautiful piece of art. It talks about the indulgences of the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages and how the silversmiths were making money in order to give people money so that they could now pay for indulgence. It's just our culture has always been messed up and tempted. The leadership of the church has always been tempted towards money. Pray for us that we don't fall into that. So you have your corrupted leaders, you have your corrupted family, and now you have a corrupted heart. And this is what Judges 18 is about. Look with me in Judges chapter 18, verse 1. It says in those days there was no king of Israel and in those days the tribe of the Danites were seeking an inheritance for themselves to live in for until that day an inheritance had not been allotted to them as a possession among the tribes of Israel. So the sons of Dan sent from their family five men out of their whole number, valiant men from Zorah and Eshtol to spy out the land and to search it. And they said to them, go search the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and they lodged there. Let me take a breath. So tribe of Dan, one of the tribes of God, 12 tribes, they don't have a place of their own. Now, had God given them a place? Yes. Joshua 19 talks about that God had allotted land to each of the tribes. But the Danites had not taken possession of of that land. Why? It was really 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 hard. It was too difficult. There's too many obstacles. These were like whiny, like stiff-necked, no-spine people. They didn't follow and believe what God had promised them, and so they just wander It keeps going, verse 3. When they were near the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young man, the Levite, and they turned aside there and said to him, who brought you here? And what are you doing in this place? And what do you have here? And he said to them, thus and thus and so has Micah done to me, and he has hired me, and I have become his priest. Verse 5. They said to him, acquire of God, please, that we may know whether our way on which we're going will be prosperous. So they're saying, hey, pray for us. Will we be prosperous and moving up here? Look at the priest doesn't even pray. He just responds immediately. Verse 6, go in peace. Your way in which you're going has the Lord's approval. He just recklessly gives them a blessing. Verse 7, then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were in it living in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. For there was no ruler humiliating them for anything in the land. And they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. So the Danites wander north. It's above the Sea of Galilee, almost to the border of what we now call Lebanon um, area. They're there in this spot. It's beautiful. So we were there last year on our Israel tour. It's this beautiful place. So the Danites are up there and they're going, wow, this is nice. And the people would be a lot easier to conquer than the place where God had given us. Well, let's go here and they inquire of, of this priest, Micah. And he's like, hey, whatever you want to do, I'm good. I'll bless it. And then keep going here. Verse 6, when they came back to their brothers at Zoro and Eshtel, their brothers said to them, what do you report? And they said, arise and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you sit still? Do not delay to go, to enter, to possess the land. When you enter, you'll come to a secure place with a spacious land, for God has given you into your hand, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth, Then from the family of the Danites, from Zorah and from Eshtol, 600 men armed with weapons of war set out. So this tribe, as I said, is a wandering tribe. They refuse to obey God's call of where they should go. It's interesting, like the young pastor, he was in a place he shouldn't be. This tribe is in a place they shouldn't be. How many times does sin snag us when we 're literally physically, geographically in a place that we should not be, and the Danites here wandering up in the northern part of Israel, and then we keep reading here in judges eighteen twelve then they went up and camped at Kirith, Jerem, and Judah, therefore they called that place Mahaneh Dan to this day, behold it is the west, it is west. Of Kiriath Jerem, and they passed from there to the hill country of Ephraim, and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who went to spy out the country of Laish said to their kinsmen, Do you know that they are in these houses, an ephod, and household idols, and a graven image, and a molten image? Now, therefore, consider what you should do. Verse 15 They turned aside there, and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, to the house of Micah, and asked him of his welfare. And the six hundred men armed with their weapons of war, who were the sons of Dan, stood by the entrance of the gate. Now the five men who went to spy out the land went up and entered there and took the graven image and the ephod and household idols and the molten image, while the priests stood by the entrance of the gate with the six hundred men armed with weapons of war. Verse 18. When they, these went into Micah's house and took the graven image, the ephod and the household idols and the molten image, the priest, this young pastor, said, What are you doing? And they said to him, Be silent. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest of the house of one man or to the priest to a tribe and a family in Israel? They're basically saying, Hey, should you be a pastor of this small church? Or you want to be a pastor of a mega church? Come with us. And Micah agrees. The priest, verse 20, the heart was glad. And he took the ephod and household idols and the graven image and went among the people. And then they turned and departed and put the little ones and livestock and the valuables in front of them. When they had gone some distance from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house assembled and overtook the sons of Dan. And they cried to the sons of Dan who turned around and said to Micah, what is the matter with you that you've assembled together? He said, you've taken away my gods, which I made, and the priests, and have gone away, and what do I have besides? See how you can say to me, what is the matter with you? Verse 25, the sons of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us, or else fierce men will fall upon you, and you will lose your life with the lives of your household. So the sons of Dan went on their way. When Micah saw they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. Wow. Wow. This word corrupted in the Hebrew language also means to decay, to dissolve. Micah sets up this false religion. He has a corrupted heart and the religion dissolves in front of him as he literally sees his priest, his pastor, and all of his idols walk away. And there's nothing he can do about it. And we'll read next that Dan decays as well. Both Dan and Micah sought a form of religion, but denied the power of the one true God. And that never works. Religious people, without seeking the one true God, are decaying people, as their corruption never leads to anywhere that lasts. And this is what happened to both Micah and the Danites. C.S. <laughs> Lewis in The Ablation of Man says this, We make men without chests, hearts, and expect from them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. Corrupted hearts lead nowhere. And this is the sad legacy of the tribe of Dan. We read about them here in Judges 18. Look at verse 27. Then they took what Micah had made, and the priests would belong to him, and came to Laish, to a people quiet and secure, and struck them with the edge of the sword, and they burned the city with fire. And there was no one to deliver them, because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. And it was in the valley, which is near Bethroab, and they built the city and lived in it. They called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their father, who was born in Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. The sons of Dan set up for themselves the graven image. And Jonathan, the young pastor, the son of Gershom, the son of, my Bible says, Manasseh, yours may say Moses... He and his sons were priests to the tribes of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. And then verse 31, again, sad, heartbreaking. So they set up for themselves Micah's graven image, which he had made, while all the time the house of God was at Shiloh. So they could have gone to the proper place of worship in Shiloh, and yet they, like Micah, set up false worship. You read about this tribe later in First Kings and you see that their area, their territory is instrumental in the dividing of Israel between the northern and southern kingdom as false worship continues in this spot. It's sad. And then you look in the book of Revelation and the tribes are listed and the tribe of Dan is noticeably absent. The corruption of the heart of this tribe led to their decay and their dissolution as this tribe no longer is acknowledged by God. What a sad story. Well, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. It's this is the book of Judges, huh? This cycle. Sin, repentance, false worship, sin, repentance the cycle over and over again one of the temptations for me and for us is as we look at this book is to go wow was a crazy time in fact i was mentioning this last weekend with my family we're like doesn't it feel like this world like this is like one of the the craziest times to ever live in history do you read about all that's happening in our world right now but then you read the book of judges and you're like well maybe it's not any different than it was back then right But the temptation is to look at this book and be like, wow, those people, they're nuts. They're crazy. All the stuff that happened then, I'm glad I'm not like that. And then the mirror points towards us. And the bad news is this. In Judges, we read about this corrupted family, a corrupted pastor, a corrupted tribe. Guess what? There's a corrupted heart that beats inside each of us. My wife, Marie, and I are expecting our fourth child in June, a little girl. We're so excited for that. And even in the last couple years, technology in the womb has just dramatically improved from when we've had our other three kids. We were able a few weeks ago to have this detailed portrait through an ultrasound of our little girl's heart. And not just it beating, but like actually like studying the heart. And Marie, being a nurse, completely understood it. I had no idea. I was like, I don't know. It just looks like, like stars in the ultrasound. And yet, the doctors were able to look at this and be like, oh yeah, there's the chambers of the heart. Everything's looking good. And yet, and I say this, and please understand the context, that beating heart of our little child in the womb will be born into this world with a corrupted heart because she inherits a sin nature from her daddy and her mom. And from every generation, from Adam to Eve, each of us is born with a corrupted heart. But we don't even have just the same nature of corruption. We also act in corruption. We do our own thing. We bypass the worship of the one true God and we set up our false idol worship. Maybe it's not graven images made out of silver, but we have things that we worship above God. Psalm 14 says it really well. When it says, you can see on the screen or in your Bible, it says, the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. That same word. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men. And it keeps going to say, to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even... How many? One... Here's the good news. For the tribe of Dan, their lives end in decay. We don't read about them in Revelation. But for each of us, this doesn't have to be our story either. Although we share a corrupted heart with the Danites and Micah and this pastor, our story does not have to end in decay, in corruption. Why? Why? Because although there's not one man who does good, not even one, there is the God-man who came into our world. And the good news is this, that Jesus has overcome. He cleanses our corrupted hearts through his death and his resurrection. That's what this whole book of Judges has been about. We've just been celebrating this through this entire series the last three months. Is that we can't do it. We cannot overcome. Now look at this mountain that's been part of our series. Flip there if I can. I look at this thing and I'm like, oh, can you imagine climbing that? Like none of us, maybe like two of us could make it. I would die trying to climb something like that. I just can't do it. I can't overcome. I'm hopeless. And yet, through Jesus Christ, we can overcome. It's not Jesus and us as buddies just walking up the mountain. No, it's Jesus has walked up the mountain for us. Jesus, as Hebrews says, cleanses us, washes us clean through his death on the cross. And the cross is now empty because Jesus doesn't have to climb up there every day. He has finished it once and for all. He has taken care of our corruption problem, the problem that each of us has. And this is what we celebrate as we read this book. As we read the sad repetitive stories of the judges we celebrate not their sadness and destruction but that it all points to what we all need which is Jesus. As a sign of humility on your knees. And will you join me As I lead us in prayer Father we acknowledge in this moment That you alone are God You are the one true way You are the author of life You are the one that deserves All of our attention And our adoration And our worship Father we confess that Because of corrupted hearts, we've turned away from worship of you, and we've sought after false substitutes, substitutes that will never satisfy us, substitutes that ultimately are corrupt and decay and dissolve. They walk away. God, forgive us. We confess our sin to you in this moment. Thank you for sending Jesus into our world to live the life that none of us could live to overcome our corrupted hearts. We are grateful and thankful for you, Jesus, and what you have accomplished. And God, we pray that you would give us hearts of worship to simply and with pure devotion lift you high in all that we do. God, in this moment, return our hearts to be hearts of worship. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.